It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Ryan Moon. And welcome into this week's show. We've got a lot to cover, including results on the mandatory CWD testing this past uh, gun deer season here in the immediate Brainerd Lakes area. We'll talk some ice fishing, including tips with rattle reels that maybe you hadn't thought of. And star of the hit Discovery Channel reality show Bering Sea Gold, Sean Pomrenicki, will join us. He's going to be up at the Duluth Ice Show December 7th and 8th. All that and more on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors. And we'll kick the show off with our Lake and Field segment, Brought to you by Oars and Mine and Crosby, your one-stop shop for ice fishing in the Cuyuna Lakes area. Lures, fresh bait, and your propane filling station for the Cuyuna Lakes. Oars and Mine, located on Highway 6 in Crosby. And we'll kick off the show. And obviously want to keep uh, deer hunters updated on uh, what was been happening here. We had some mandatory CWD testing here in the immediate Brainerd Lakes area through the first weekend of the uh, gun deer season. And we bring in once again Dr. Michelle Carstensen with the Minnesota DNR. Uh, Michelle, welcome back to the show. Happy to be back. So what can you tell us? I know you're down in the southeastern part of the state right now doing some mandatory uh, testing down there still. We'll get to that here in just a second, but I I don't want to bury the lead here with uh, locally and what we've heard. Um, What can you tell us based on your results from the testing that you guys did? Well, I have good news to report from our surveillance that occurred in the north-central zone, which included areas uh, 242 and 247. Uh, First, we did achieve our goal, which was 500 samples. We actually exceeded it and uh, collected 861 in uh, the opening weekend. And all the results are back from uh, the lab, and all are not detected for CWD, meaning we have not found any evidence of this infection in the wild in uh, in that area. And uh, similarly, in our central block um, around the Meeker County captive service farm that was found positive in 2016. We did surveillance there um, and also uh, collected just near our goal. We were at, looking to get 500 and we got 445. And again, those results are all back and no detection of disease in that area as well. So two areas, good news to report. Were the hunter participation in this whole thing, I know last year you guys are really excited about their participation in it. Uh, this year, kind of similar? Yeah, it was very good. In the north central area, again, where I was working, uh, we had 92% compliance with the mandatory uh, sampling over opening weekend. So uh, I think that's excellent. Um, and it was similar to what we've seen the previous year. And talking to a few hunters that I talked to, they said the uh, going through the whole station and all that was pretty seamless. Yeah, we, we uh, definitely figured out a few humps from the first year where we had Miss, uh, you know, misjudged where the hunter flow would be, and we had some stations a little understaffed, and others were a little overstaffed. So now that we had more information about the hunter flow, we were able to adjust and provide a quick, seamless experience for hunters and keep everybody moving. So we definitely improved our our operation at the stations as well. So some good news on that front, but uh, there is a little bit of bad news that came out of this as well. 
Yeah, unfortunately, there's been a recent discovery of additional infected deer in the cervid farm that um, is in Crow Wing County, which is the reason we're doing the sampling in the wild deer. So that particular facility uh, is still in existence and, and has animals uh, alive on the facility. And they recently discovered uh, four more infected deer, both white tail and some mule deer on that property with chronic wasting disease. So um, there's, uh, you know, work going on with the Board of Animal Health that uh, that oversees that facility, trying to understand, you know, how that disease is, is still there and and, uh, um, and also what to do going forward with that farm. But on the wildlife side, what that tells us is we still have active infection and risk ongoing there, and it's possible that we might extend our sampling um, around that facility for another year at least to be sure that it isn't spilling over or hasn't already spilled over in the wild population. So you mentioned they may extend, uh, you know, a sampling another year or so. Uh, for sure, we have what one more year of this, Michelle. That's almost that. That's guaranteed. Correct. Yeah, when we started this last year, we knew it would be a three-year effort, and that encompasses the the normal incubation period for this disease, which is one to three years. And so we wanted to make sure we didn't stop too soon and miss an infection that maybe was just starting. Um, but yeah, with this discovery, I think it'd be wise for us to at least add another year and and reassess. Um, you know, where we might be going in the future. And hopefully we can, you know, reduce risks on this farm as well um, as we partner with the Board of Animal Health to address address those issues. I had a, a hunter ask me a question. I, I didn't have a uh, an answer for it, so I thought I'd throw it to you. They wanted to know, CWD, can it affect, obviously, deer, but can it get to other wildlife as well? I mean, they mentioned, like, fox and stuff like that, bears. I mean, is this something that can affect them as well? No, chronic wasting disease is, is limited to the servant family now. So for us in Minnesota, it would be moose, uh, elk, and deer that would be at risk. These other animals that we talked about that are you know, carnivores that might be scavenging on the carcasses are able to mechanically transfer the infected agent, which is called a prion. Basically, if they're consuming parts of an infected carcass, uh, they can then shed that, that out through fecal material as they move around their home ranges. So they can work as sort of mechanical spreaders of the disease but they themselves aren't able to become infected with chronic wasting disease. Currently known about the human health risks is that we have not found any evidence, conclusive evidence, that humans are susceptible to chronic wasting disease. However, uh, both the World Health Organization and the Center for uh, Disease Control recommend first that hunters have their deer tested, particularly if they're hunting in areas where there's concern for the disease, and two, if it is positive, to not consume the venison. And that's just to eliminate the risk that there is a potential humans might be susceptible to this disease. And some recent work with macaque monkeys in, in um, Canada did show that the monkeys eating venison that had CWD, uh, some of them did become infected. So there's a little bit more concern that perhaps the blood-brain barrier, which is what you know, stops different species from getting different, different diseases, may not be as robust as we think. So there's some caution there and, and really personal choices with a hunter to decide should they consume that product or not, knowing it, it has disease is really up to them. And going through, uh, we've got muzzleloader uh, and then obviously late season bow too, so still plenty of hunters going to be out and about, Michelle. If somebody wanted to be proactive and still get their deer tested just to make sure, can they still do that? Yeah, in the, in the areas where we've reached our goal, we're not actively collecting anymore. So there's a, a process um, that's available on our website that explains how a sample uh, can be taken, collected by the hunter, and then submitted to the lab directly. So they can, you know, do that on their own. Uh, there's a process for that. It's about $70 or so. Um, in all the areas where we're still actively working, those tests are free because we haven't reached our goals, like in the southeast. 
and hunters are encouraged to continue, you know, participating in that. And you mentioned that area where, you know, in the southeastern part of the state, you're still doing testing down there. Um, what is the reason behind that? Is it just that it's more of a concerned area? Yeah, in southeast Minnesota, particularly Fillmore County, we, we found the disease in wild deer in fall 2016. Um, and uh, that was a new discovery for this disease in the state and the second time we've ever had a wild deer test positive. And since that time, we've established a CWD management zone in the southeast, and we've done a lot to increase harvest in that area and try to assess what's going on with this disease. At this point, we've found uh, 10 new cases this year, six of which are confirmed as having the disease, and four are still pending, which means they were uh, positive on the first test, but a co- uh, confirmatory test is necessary for them to be uh, definitely confirmed with the disease. So uh, we have new cases and um, and a little bit of spread outside of the, the zone we established in 2016. Uh, also, interestingly, is all, all these new cases are adult males, uh, and it, it appears that they're using riparian corridors and traveling from kind of the central area where we have the infection to some of these outlying spots, um, and possibly that's why they're being uh, harvested where they are, just good travel corridors for bucks. So interesting stuff there. Anything else statewide, Michelle, that, that you guys wanted to report? Well, we, we hope to continue the work in the southeast through the end of 3B season, which ends this weekend. Uh, but in 603, which is our management zone, uh, we'll be working to collect samples through muzzleloader and then the bow season. And then look for some uh, plans to be uh, you know discussed by DNR for, for winter work here in the southeast because we have this ongoing infection. It's likely there might be some additional hunter opportunities in 603 this winter, uh, which is consistent with what we've done before. Um, and so just stay tuned for, for what those may be. So to summarize, if somebody was just tuning in, Michelle, though, the the best thing that we can report out of this right here in the immediate Brainerd Lakes area, no positive samples for uh, CWD, so hunters should be pretty happy. They should be very happy. Yep, we have good sample numbers, great compliance with our hunters, and no evidence of the disease in the wild in that area at this point in time. So awesome news, I think. So there you go. That's Dr. Michelle Karstensen with the uh, Minnesota DNR. Hats off to your crew and, and everybody with the DNR and all the work you guys have been putting into this, Michelle. I know it's a lot of work, a lot of man hours uh, and, and and stuff being put in um, by, by you guys and, and the work that you guys do. So hats off to you guys. Thanks a ton for all the work that you guys do, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks very much. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3 and obviously ice fishing on the brain of many uh, heading out, many anglers, as we're getting towards that time of the year. And I thought we'd bring in Brad Hawthorne. He's a longtime Mille Lacs guide and obviously Steve Saponiak we talked to uh, many, many times out on Mille Lacs throughout the years. But uh, Brad joining us this time around to give us kind of an update. I wanted to talk to Brad because he's got some very interesting tips on how to rig up your rattle reels. Brad, uh, welcome to Brainerd Outdoors. Hey, thanks for having me. The The thing about rattle reels, we've, we've seen them used for years and years on Mille Lacs. It's kind of back in the day before all the wheel, wheelhouses came on the scene. If you wanted to spend a weekend on Mille Lacs, you went out in a rental house, and there was a local guy that, that's passed on now, but he used to actually make wooden rattle reels on the southeast corner or southwest corner of the lake, and they were kind of known as the Mille Lacs rattle reel. And... Since then, from the guy making them in his, in his shop, we have rattle reels now with bearings in them, like high-grade Japanese bearings. Um, 
you can buy rattle reels now from two ninety nine all the way up to fifty nine ninety nine. I mean, it's just an amazing. It's amazing to see the sport grow from, you know, an old an old trilene XL spool nailed to the wall and then drop down the hole. You know, that was that was done for many, many years as well. So the the one thing I do different is I use either suffix fifty pound braid, that's coated braid, so it doesn't freeze, or I use fly line. And these fly line bolts for a lot of guys, what I noticed when, you know, we do panfish trips, I'll go and guide on other lakes too. And what I've noticed was the fly line trick was really a localized Mille Lacs technique for, for utilizing that, that line. And I didn't really see it in any other corners of the state, especially North, South Dakota, Wisconsin. We just didn't really see it. And by using that fly line or that, or the 50 pound suffix what it does is it's neutrally buoyant so it acts like a bobber so if you can imagine you've got on Mille Lacs 10 to 15 feet of six to eight pound fluorocarbon lead line and then you have another 10 12 feet of a neutrally buoyant line that acts like a bobber and it does have coil in it so when a fish strikes that that minnow the rattle reel may just twitch a little bit, a lot less than a bobber would move because it has that, that, you know, that coil in it, just a little bit of loose coil. And then the fish swims off and the rattle reel starts dinging and you simply set the hook and battle the fish. There's no more of this, hey, let them take it for 30 seconds or let them run for a minute. Like those days are gone. And it's actually, it actually helps the fish. You get a more positive hook set. And it's just a, a way cleaner way of, of presenting the bait to the fish and catching them once you got them on. The, the old way was to, you know, put a bobber on heavy gauge line, a slip bobber, pin it, and then when the bobber hit the bottom of the hole or it ran for two or three minutes, then it was time to set the hook. Well, inherently what we have with bobbers is they tend to freeze in the hole. Um, if you're using a, a slip bobber, that bobber can get froze in the middle of it, so that's not going to slide. And you have that constant resistance of that bobber because typically in the winter, guys are using pretty big bobbers for 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 minnows. You know, they're using a, a good medium sized bobber. They're not using these little peanut ones for like you use for sunfish. So by just using the line technique, it's a lot more sensitive. The fish in in effortlessly can take that minnow without feeling any weight. And the other thing I wanted to point out too was with the fly line and tip-up line, having a line marker, you know, where your depth is set on that line has historically been a problem. And I figured out something. I can't take credit for it. I was at a seminar last year. I was giving it out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I let the, let these guys know about, you know, the line I was using and this and that. And guy in the back corner, I said, I really don't have a good way to mark the line. I said, I've tried electrical tape. I've tried marker. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried tie knots in it. And the guy stood up and he said, just pop the clip off a swivel snap and thread it on. And I went, unreal. That was the best idea I've ever heard. He said he's been marking his line like that for years and years and years. He had just never told anyone. So I asked him permission. I said, can I use that? I'll give you credit. But that is the best idea. Because when you attach your either suffix 50-pound or fly line, to your leader you you want a joint there you have a swivel there 
So everyone's got a package of swivel snaps. So you unsnap the snap, you got your swivel, you tie that to your 50-pound or your fly line, and then you tie your fluorocarbon leader to the other end of that swivel, slide your clip on the fly line or 50-pound, and you are off and running with a lot less. You get a lot less tangles. You get a lot more natural presentation. And once you set your rattle reels up like this, it's not like you got to change the line on them every year. I mean, I've got fly line setups and 50-pound suffix braid setups that are going on seven, eight, nine years old. And this line you're talking about too, Brad, it's pretty easy to find in the stores, right? It It, it is locally here. What I've noticed, Brainerd Lakes, Mille Lacs area, it's pretty easy to find around here. But once you get, you know, Lake of the Woods, Red Lake area, things like that, it gets a little bit more difficult to find. So, you know, we're seeing it expand because we're promoting it a little bit more. But basically, if you want it, um, yeah, you can go and buy big bolts of it you know, at one of the big retailers, you can find it there, but you're going to pay a lot more for it. The stuff that we have locally available here is actually end run is what they call it to where it's, it's only 50 yards long, comes in multi-different colors and you don't have to buy a hundred yards of it for 20 or $30. You can get it for two ninety nine to four ninety nine. And when you mentioned multi-colors, is there one in particular that you like to use Brad or is there pretty much, they're all the same? I kind of think they're all the same, but it, it, that comes down to the, the end user of, uh, of it. Um, Malax, I'm always using on my rattle reel and tip up setup. I'm always using a 10 to 12 foot leader on my stuff. So that I feel that that's far enough away. Even if that line is bright orange, it's really the fish is not paying that much attention to it because it's so far away. I'll change it up a little bit, you know, for sure. Number six VMC hook. I mean, that, those hooks tried and true have caught more, black walleye i think any other hook out there they're a durable hook they come in a multitude of different colors and you don't have to worry about them breaking again they're good quality and i'm just using a number six or a number eight hook i put a rubber core or a split shot about 18 inches to two feet above that and i adjust that weight size for whatever minnow we're using. You know, a lot of times late season on Mille Lacs, we're using those bigger shiners if we can get them, the four, five, and six inches. And those times I may go up to a half ounce of weight. Um, it's unusual, but we will go that high. But that's that's my basic setup. If I have to, if the fish are really, really negative and I cannot pull them off the bottom, I will take just a regular spoon, VMC spoon, tingler, tumbler spoon, and I will hook the minnow in the back. I will tie that directly to my tip line, and I will let that lively minnow sit on the bottom with that spoon and just wiggle back and forth. And that has been a deadly, slow, cold front technique for me over the years. It is amazing, Brad, the evolution of ice fishing. And here we are talking on the show, rattle reel tips. I mean, it shows you how with these evolutions of wheelhouses and all the different ones that are out there right now, how far we've come. We have. It's uh, in in my 15 years in the in the industry, I've watched ice fishing come from gas augers, where that was a huge thing. Like, holy cow, we can now we don't have to do this by hand anymore. And they they came into the market. They were easy to get your hands on. Like, I got my first gas auger when I was 13, and I was so proud of it. I remember that Christmas that uh, my parents gave it to me. And then we've watched the wheelhouse market. Explode 
I mean, every given you have to see this, Brian and Brandon. Any given weekend on a Thursday or Friday, you have to see thousands and thousands of wheelhouses pass up three seventy one. Oh, I've seen it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you can always tell when when there's a, a hot bite somewhere, or if, you know, once we get the fishable ice uh, and able to drive out there with those things, it is incredible. Um, just the last couple of things while we got you, Brad, out on Malax. Um, what are we doing as far as ice goes? I know we're we're kind of making ice around the immediate Brainerd Lakes area, but Malax, uh, a little bit bigger body of water. Where are we at out there? Are you keeping an eye on that? Yeah, I, I actually just drove around the lake this morning, and as of as of right now, we still have open water on a large portion of you know the north northwest corner of the lake, the southeast corner of the lake. We've got ice in the bays. We've got you know the least amount of ice I've found is six inches, and or say the maximum amount I found is is six inches. The least amount I found is three, but you, we don't have guys out here checking right now because. Malax, we really want that main basin to freeze solid to stop that ice movement and to make things safe for all. So I think I think you may see a, peep, a few people venture out into the bays. I would not advise that, um, especially when there's lakes like Upper Red that's long foot traffic and some ATV traffic. I would let Malax sit. It's you know it's just after Thanksgiving here. We we it's a little bit early yet i know we got you know we got a little bit of an early winter but don't rush malax the other thing you can't keep a walleye on malax until december 1st because that's when the fiscal year changes for being able to keep that one fish between 21 and 23 inches so if you if you think you're going to come out here and rush and be able to keep that one walleye you're not you're not going to be doing yourself any good unless it's december 1st or after so some great information there from Brad Hawthorne, uh, Malax Guide, longtime Malax Guide. Brad, if people want more information on you, how can they find it? They can give me a call at 651-271-8600 or look me up at MalaxLakeGuide.com. And hopefully, Brad, maybe we'll have you on the show here throughout the winter with some other tips. I know, like I said, it's it's odd talking rattle reel tri- tips on the show, but like we said before, I mean, with the evolution, the way things are going right now, uh, everything is kind of uh, a topical thing now. It, it is. You know, we've got electric augers. We've got sonar in the industry now that has come leaps and bounds from the old green boxes. And we see lures just getting the advancements in line, the advancements in wheelhouses now. Like my wheelhouse, my Yeti house, I have I have a full bathroom in that thing. It's just... <laughs> It's just 10 years ago, you never would have thought you'd seen that. People would have laughed at you. Now we have satellite TV, uh, you know, thin diameter fluorocarbon lines. We have spoons that actually do throw off the right hues of bait fish now, not just some guy in his basement slapping orange on a spoon. It's just, it's, if you're an ice fisherman, it's an awesome time to, uh, to be in the industry right now. It's almost like fishing out of a hotel room. It, it it that that is the best way to put it. <laughs> there you go, Brad. I appreciate it. Good stuff, and uh, we'll talk with you to here down the line. Okay. Thanks for having me. And we'll have more Brainerd Outdoors after this on B ninety three point three. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. And something a little special this week. We have the uh, Northland's biggest ice fishing and winter show coming to Duluth December 7th and 9th at the Duluth Entertainment Convention Center, or the DEC as many people know it. 
And uh, one of the people that's going to be there is a chance for you to sit down and, and meet and greet is Sean Mr. Gold Pomeranke from Di- Discovery Channel's hit TV series Bering Sea Gold, who is joining us from Nome right now. Sean, welcome to Brainerd Outdoors. Thank you. So tell me about, you know, for those that aren't familiar with the show, uh, Bering Sea Gold, uh, what is it all about? What is, what is it that you guys are doing up there? Well, so what we do is we mine gold from the Bering Sea, the o- ocean. I started out diving for gold on a suction dredge, and then I came up with an idea to build the Christine Rose. So my dad and a couple other guys, we got together and built the Christine Rose, and started making a whole lot of gold and discovery hit us up and wanted to film us and here we are eight years later uh still doing what we do and piling up the gold bunch of guys come up try to knock me off the top but uh, we just keep uh doing what we do and keep staying on top and producing a bunch of gold that's got to be the hardest part, Sean, is the fact that uh, once you get on top, staying up there has got to be the, the toughest thing because everybody's gunning for you. Yeah, yeah, they they all keep trying and keep. I mean, even you look at the, you know, from the people that are familiar with the show, a guy come up with the Merle Irene. It's a dredge, three four times bigger than the Christine Rose, and we still kick their butt. So. So how long, you mentioned uh, eight years now on the Discovery Channel uh, before, you know, when they discovered you guys beforehand, how long had you, had you been doing this leading up to before where you started the show? Um, I've been doing it since I've been 14 with my dad. We started an inland placer mine when I, when I was young, and of course, dad, he throws me in a dump truck and an excavator, and so yeah, I'd haul the pay dirt, and then, then I'd run it. So I've been doing this a long time. The ocean, uh, I've been in the ocean. I, I started diving 18, 19, didn't really take it too serious. And then I got back into it and, and did a million dollars in one summer with a suction dredge. So that kind of, kind of got me hooked there, making, making, uh, I mean, we were averaging ten thousand a day out of the ocean, so and we had a hundred about a hundred days of diving, and I was uh, made made a whole year's wages in three four months. So right there, I was hooked. It was like, all right, I I, I kind of like this. Were you surprised when the Discovery Channel approached you guys? Was it something that just really came out of the blue, or do you think uh, we're really onto something here? It's only a matter of time before somebody's going to find out. Um, it was a big surprise. I mean, I, I, I remember the day I got the call. I was actually in, in Minnesota going to a concert with my, my sister Angie and my brother Jacob and, and got a call and they're like, we'd like to interview you for a reality show. And, uh, they came up, did a, did a little, little short interview. And, uh, next thing I know, they were up here filming. And how, where did you actually grow up, Sean? Did you grow up near Minnesota here or up? I was in Minnesota till the age of 13. So I grew up, uh, 
I spent a lot of time in piers and a little bit of time in Little Falls and then a little bit of time in Minneapolis before I come up to Nome. But uh, at, at the age of 13, I've, I've been in Nome and uh, been here pretty much ever since. I moved back to Annandale, Minnesota for a little bit and then was like, nope, this is not for me. I'm going back to Alaska. <laughs> well, and growing up and spending time in Piers and Little Falls, and you're pretty familiar with the Brainerd Lakes area then. Yes, yes. I grew up with my dad ice fishing on uh, the lakes around around Piers, and uh, I, I love a- any chance I can get back to Minnesota and, and go see family and friends, I, I try to get back. Well, you'll be here for the, uh, the big ice fishing and winter show in Duluth. Uh, you're going to be there Friday, December the 7th from 3 until 6, Saturday, December the 8th from noon until 3. Uh, we're talking with uh, Sean Mr. Gold Pomerenke from Discovery Channel's hit TV series Bering Sea Gold. While we still got a little time with you, Sean, I want to ask you what a typical day is like because I would imagine you're not punching a clock. This is not an 8 to 5 job. Uh, what you're doing, what what is a typical day for you entail? A typical day is up at uh, around 5. As they update the weather at four, you check the weather forecast, see what the wind's doing, what's going to happen, get geared up, bring supplies to the boat, get out onto the boat, and uh, you know you take a six-mile boat ride in the in the Bering Sea to the dredge, get on the dredge and work a twelve-hour day there, and then another commute back to town. The usual day is anywhere from like 14, 16 hours. But when you're doing something you love, it's it's uh, it's not a job, is it? It's very true. Uh, it's it's more of a passion than anything else. Uh, how many people are on on your crew on on, on the ship? Because I'm sure it's not just you. No, no, I have I have some uh, I have some really good I have a really good crew at the. Uh, four other guys that help run the boat and then i got a couple other kids that are welding pretty much full-time working on the mega dredge yeah we have uh actually a couple of them are i've had had some of my crew are from minnesota jesse vernick got appears he he's uh he comes up and works on the dredge uh i've had vince skiba so i do recruit some good old farm boys from minnesota to come up and work up here <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Uh, and you mentioned putting in those 14- and 16-hour days, Sean, and you're doing this probably in weather conditions that aren't optimum. I mean, here we are in mid-November in Minnesota here, and, I mean, it's 20 degrees and, you know, a little bit of light snow. But up there around Nome and the Bering Sea where you're basically working every single day, I'd imagine the weather can be a challenge. Yeah, I think the average temperature in Nome during the summer is right around 45 to 48 degrees, so perfect working conditions. That's for sure. Um, So really interesting. Now, at the show, and people want to come up and meet you and stuff like that, are you going to be doing anything special there, any type of seminars, or just kind of a simple meet and greet, and people can ask you questions about the show? Um, Pretty much a simple meet and greet. People can come up, ask me about the show. We We'll have some T-shirts and hats and stuff for sale. Yeah, just looking forward to meeting everybody and and uh, having a good time. You know, and I'm sure people are maybe hearing this right now and they're wondering, well, he's been at this for as long as he has. The show has been running for eight seasons. Can you ballpark or put a number on what t- how much value and how much gold that you've mined in, in the time that you've been doing this? 
dad and I were we were trying to figure this out the other day, and I'm thinking it's roughly about forty million that we've mined in gold. That now the trick is we we figured out how to get the gold. Now the trick is figuring out how to keep it. I haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nome, Alaska. The only reason it's here is because of gold. It was where the three lucky Swedes discovered gold in Anvil Creek, which is where my father, Steve, is mining right now and doing really well. He's actually kicking my butt in the gold count. but uh, And then it's just worked. It's, it's the placer gold is out in front of the home in the ocean, and the ocean mining is just kind of in the last 30, 30 years is, you know, pretty pretty new. So nobody has really come up with an efficient way to mine it until the Christine Rose. And the Christine Rose is a very efficient, uh, between my dad and myself, we come up with a really efficient way to set it up where one guy can run the whole boat by himself if needed. And one last question for you, Sean. Uh, With the success of the show, have you noticed the competition has stepped up. You're seeing more and more people getting into this as compared to before you started. You know, didn't, you know the show wasn't on the air, but now eight years into it, are you noticing more and more people kind of uh, getting into this sort of thing? Well, at the beginning of the show, when the show first aired, we had a huge, huge group of like what I call I call them dreamers that come up and tell me they're going to show me how to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. But now, I don't think any of them are left. There was probably 45, 50 dredges that came, that come up after the show aired. They all tried for a couple of years, and now they're all just sitting in the port, rotting away. Well, it's not for everybody, no doubt about that. But I encourage you to check the show out, Bearing Sea Gold, on the Discovery Channel. Uh, and, of course, Sean, Mr. Gold, Pomerenke, is going to be at the uh, winter ice fishing and winter show at the deck in Duluth, uh, December seventh. He'll be there from three until six, and Saturday, December eighth, from noon until three. And that whole weekend, uh, December seventh through the ninth, up in Duluth. Sean, I appreciate you taking the time to take uh, time to talk to us. I know you're very, very busy up there in Nome, Alaska. Uh, enjoy the show. Enjoy talking to you, and I'll look forward to maybe meeting you up there in Duluth here in the the next couple of weeks. Sounds good. Thank you, Brian. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. In time for our Hungry Hunter segment here on the show, Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, 371 North and Baxter joins us. This is interesting, Joel. If people still got a little venison laying around in the freezer, maybe make a little room. Something that we haven't done on the show before. This is a bourbon deer bites. What's this all about? Well, we're kind of going a little appetizer uh party style this week so we're going to take some venison we're going to dice it up into nice little one inch cubes um whatever you have whether it's a backstrap if you got one still you know doubt it but one hanging out still <laughs> or or just a nice uh a couple of nice steaks diced up we're going to marinate that first we're going to we're going to build a marinade with some bourbon i'm throwing a little bit of a1 steak sauce and you know, i prefer a1 or if you want to go 57 you can definitely go that route as well so a little steak sauce a little bit of honey to sweeten it up some Worcestershire. Uh, fresh garlic. We're going to mix all that up, whip it up real nice, and we're going to toss in our, our venison cubes. Let that sit, you know, 12 hours, 24 hours, however long you have. Let it sit for a while. Next day we'll pull it out. Let the marinade kind of drain off a little bit, 
and we're going to roll that into some bacon. <laughs> we're going to take bacon strips, cut them in half, and then roll it up, put a little toothpick through it, and then we're going to grill them. We're going to go to a nice uh, medium-hot grill, throw them on just to get the bacon nice and crispy. We don't really want to overcook the venison. We want to keep that about a mid-rare or medium inside of there. Par-cook your bacon, bake it off a little bit. That way your bacon doesn't get too crispy and your venison's still rare. Well, it sounds fantastic. Any certain type of bourbon you want to use? I'm a fan of Jim Beam. That's just the way I go with it. Um, any kind of whiskey would work as well, whatever you have in the cupboard. Sure. I've had other, I think you've told me this, I've had other chefs tell me the same thing, uh, whether you're cooking with uh, you know, whiskey or any type of liquor or wine or anything, if you if you won't drink it, then you won't cook with it, right? That, that rule still applies, I feel. There you go. So give it a try. Bourbon Deer Bites. Uh, you can head to our website, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the Recipes tab. you got that one and a ton of others that Chef Joel has been nice enough to uh, share with us to try. Uh, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Just click on the Recipes tab. Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, 371 North and Baxter. Thanks, Joel. Thank you, Brian. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Vernal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bymert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evening at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors right here on B93.3.